All with the word of prayer. Blessed Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your son and for the season as we are anticipating his coming, the celebration of his coming, and looking forward to his second coming, Lord. We pray that you would come now by your Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds to appreciate what you are teaching us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Super excited about what we're getting into today, guys. More on lepers, but on the cleansing and the purification of lepers. There's a lot of good stuff in here. As we get started, though, I want to think a little bit about rites of initiation, rites of passage. You ever heard of this one? In the Brazilian Amazon, young boys belonging to the indigenous Satere Maue tribe mark their coming of age when they turn 13 in a bullet and ant initiation. The tradition goes as so. They search the jungle for bullet ants, which are sedated by a leader who submerges them in an herbal solution. The ants are then weaved into gloves with the stingers pointed inwards. An hour or so later, the ants wake up angrier than ever, and the initiation begins. Each boy has to wear the gloves for 10 minutes. I actually tried this with confirmation a couple of years ago. And it is the new youth group activity. <laughs> but what's the importance of a rite of passage? Why, I mean, bullet ants aside, what's the value of uh, these kind of rites of passage or, or rites of initiation? Well, I mean, this is something that you see from time eternal across history and cultures and so forth. There's rites of passage. Certainly there are in the scriptures. And in a sense, what we're going to look at in Leviticus 14 is just that. Why, why are they important things to have? Mark time. To mark time and the passage of time. Yeah, good. What else? Well, it shows the importance of it. Shows the importance of it, for sure. Like kind of puts, I mean, like he says marking time, well, puts a, a marker in time and saying, look, this is an important thing. Pay attention to it. Yeah. It's, good. it's joining with those that have gone through it before, and so you're welcomed into a yeah, you're welcomed into the family. Um, of, I mean, initiation is like you're being initiated. You're you're part of the group now. You were an outsider. Now you're an insider. What do we lose when we lose rites of, rites of passage and rites of initiation? This is something that people have been hearing, lamenting and bemoaning about our society today. That a lot of rites of passage have kind of gone away. Um, but what do you lose when you don't have those kind of rites of rites of passage? Yeah. I think there's a clear, like we were saying, a clear marker. Like, mm-hmm. you know, however, whatever they may be, people look at those and say that, you know, that was a moment when I knew that I was part of. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a grown up because I. Yeah. Right. Fill in the blank. Right. Well, is it kind of like what you were talking about in the um, sermon mm-hmm. about um, Mary? Elizabeth to yes, right. Confirm that's a good connection. Going to, and so then that's yeah makes it more real. So Mary had that verification, that assurance from Elizabeth, and it was kind of she needed that outside. I mean, did she need it or not? I can't say for sure, but it it certainly helped strengthen and bolster her faith. And yeah, I think any of us need that too. Yeah, Tara. Also, there's an expectation if you have passed, if you have hmm. passed this, yeah, right, or you have. God, you then are expected to behave a certain way right. or participate. And if you don't pa- go through this, mm-hmm. then you're not. Yeah. You're not required to participate or you don't think you have to. Sure, right. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, go ahead. People just like traditions. 
Well, people just like traditions too. So there's that side of it, just the familiarity part of it as well. Yeah. Change your responsibilities uh, as you, you know, like turn 18. Mm -hmm. you, your, your responsibilities have changed, also your privileges have changed. Sure. And then they, as you get to 21, they change again. Right. And, and it know, helps to mark mark the, that change. Yeah. yeah. Of what you have to do and what is expected of you. Right. But what you also get to do right. as well. Right. Privileges right. and responsibilities. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, you think about how I think once upon a time in, in our society, and it is what it is, but, you know, it used to be the case that things like a confirmation or first communion had a bigger, uh, took a, a bigger place, bigger role in kind of the imagination of our youth and of our churches. Whereas now, culturally, the things that we tend to look at as these are the rites of passage is like when I get my first social media account or smartphone or something uh, like that, you know? Um, what's that? That's six. Yeah, exactly. Um, but even things, you know, uh, simpler, more innocent things for girls, like when you get your first uh, ear pierced, this sort of thing, you know, in our house, it'll be when they're 24. Um, uh, don't make them. No. Probably next year. Probably next year. Oh, okay. But both of them. The boys? Both the ears. Both the ears. And the nose. Um, the boys do? No, no. no. <laughs> anyway, uh, what we're going to see in, in Leviticus 14 is a kind of rite of passage and some of the reasons why it was so significant for the leprous person as they had been outside of the community now as they are coming back in. So let's go to Leviticus 14, and I'm going to start uh, reading the first nine verses here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Then, if the case of leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be cleansed two live or wild clean birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet yarn, and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood, and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop, and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall, he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, and shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day, he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. Yeah. Uh, Chip has a head start on this uh, practice. Of there's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's a lot here. It's a really significant um, process and rite of passage. Here's the first thing I want to point out. You got this on your handout. Leper's cleansing is a process of sanctification. It's a kind of restoring and re-recognizing uh, of their holiness and their ability to enter into the presence of God. Okay? Uh, now, I'm really proud of this next piece, so just take this seriously, okay? Just <clears throat> trying to diagram this, all right? So here in our diagram, as you can see, we have Larry the leper, and uh, he's outside the camp. And the church, just pretend that's the temple, okay? Or the, the tabernacle. 
And here's the here's his tent, and there's that's you my camp arcade here. Right? Exactly. <laughs> this is Larry the leper's family over here, and he wants to rejoin his family as well as be able to rejoin the worshiping assembly and be part of that again. But he's got leprosy. But now he's been he's been healed. Um, the the priest came out and saw that and that Larry is better, and so after inspection. He's able to come back into the camp. That's so good for Larry. And then, after seven days, he can come back. He had to wait. There was kind of that waiting trial period. And then finally, on the eighth day, there he is, back at the tabernacle. They offer the sacrifices um, for his atonement. And he's, he's reincorporated. Yes? Was Larry adopted? He was. It was really a beautiful story. <laughs> because, because, because he has dark hair and all the rest of them are natural blonde. You don't see a lot of this yeah. in uh, the Middle East. But uh, anyway, this is kind of the picture. There's this movement, this process and progress that is um, happening here. And uh, it's significant in the way that it, it kind of dramatizes how sanctification itself is a journey for all of God's people. Right? And it happens in these um, stages, which aren't as discreet, unfortunately, as we have here. But this is where things like um, confirmation um, can help to mark time and mark the passage of the, the maturation of faith. As one is growing into Christ's likeness, and so we continue to, to mark those out. Um, again, we don't sh shave off all their hair and this sort of thing, but it's that recognition that you're, you're growing in your identity in Christ. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking back to times where they someone would shaved half their beard off mm. and that was to shame them right Sh you know not having your beard was a shame right so is, is this a shaming type no. of thing yeah no so this is this is very much not a, a shaming sort of um, initiation or ritual but a I mean it's a fresh start it's um, because remember too um, they talked about this with this whatever the skin disease is it would affect the hair too Right, yeah. so the hair would die, it would be white, and so it's kind of we're gonna shave off all of that. You're healed now. You have a, a fresh start. Okay, and what was the other thing that happened in this rite that kind of um, stands out <coughs> to you about that that fresh start and the the freedom now of this person? Did you catch this in verse seven? So you, he sprinkles seven times at time of completion, and then what do you have? Free bird. I know, right? Like, don't you got, you got too much time on your hands, Pastor? Um, but they, they would take they would take the bird and let it go. Okay, and so this it has resonances with what we'll see in chapter sixteen of the scapegoat. But whereas the scapegoat is sent away bearing the sin of the person, here this seems to be more just symbolic of now you your sin. Your uncleanness has been lifted, and you are free as a bird. Okay, this live bird, this wild bird, is set free, and perhaps there's also echoes of um, uh, Noah's Ark too, right? That now, again, that kind of fresh start. So it's just a, a very beautiful thing to really underscore for them again to that connection with Elizabeth in an objective way, like, hey, you are back in the community. You are not bearing the stigma of this sickness or this uncleanness anymore it has been taken away from you and uh boy it's a powerful thing and it occurs to me that sometimes even within the church we don't have that same sense of that freedom you if you you have some sin that you still carry with you that you bear and you feel like 
Like it's that scarlet letter that you're just wearing forever. Whereas it's even more the case for us in Christ that we're free as a bird, that that sin has been lifted and taken away, and now we're, we're liberated in him. Yeah. Well, two thoughts. One is just like the, the sort of like the power of moments thing. Like everybody witnesses or yes. can yeah. witness this. Right. Right? Yep. And so like it's just a, definitely a, yes. a demarcation. And yeah. Like, okay, this happened. We watched the bird go. Right. All that. Yep. Um, then I had a question. Um, so, is, is when it says leprous disease, does it mean strictly leprosy, or is it like right? Yeah. So um, we talked about this a little last week, and we, we weren't able to join us. But it's it's not leprosy in the modern sense, and we're not exactly sure what it was. For one thing, it gets better. It's something that um, heals. Some people say it's something like psoriasis or what have you. But as we see later in chapter fourteen, and we saw this also in chapter thirteen, where it, this disease, whatever it is, can affect clothes. It also can affect houses. So it's something that we're not exactly sure what's going on here. But suffice it to say, yeah, it's a scaly skin disease. Yeah. Don't know what exactly it, it is. But it was gross. We do know that. Yeah. The, is this an incomplete ritual? Because they, they go on about the bird and, uh, uh, and releasing it. Uh-huh. But... Do you have to plant a cedar or the hyssop or, you know, tie it with a this? Oh, interesting. It's like three of the things there, and they just go onto the bird and releasing it, and it's like, don't mention the other three. Well, those are going to come up here more in, in a minute. We'll see how, how those are used. Okay. Um, but I, another thing I wanted to point out just in terms of how this, we can think about this dramatizing sanctification, is that sanctification is both now and not yet. What I mean by that is, there's a, a sense in which our sanctification, which is, maybe I should back up and say, we, we distinguish sanctification from justification, generally. Justification is that being declared righteous in God's sight. Okay? It's a one-and-done proclamation. Whereas sanctification, we think of more as this ongoing growth in holiness and in Christ-likeness. Likeness. Um, but even sanctification it has both a a right-away sort of way of understanding it, like justification, okay? So it's both a now and a not yet. It's both a present reality and something that's ongoing and continues to be realized. Uh, we see this, for instance, in um, right here with the, the leper and with the, the rite of purification, where he had this kind of in-between time. Did you catch that? Um, in verse 8, where it says he's cleansed, he can wash his clothes, and he, comes in, he can come into the camp, but he lives outside his tent for seven days. He lives in this kind of in-between period where it's already and not yet. And the scriptures talk this way. New Testament speaks this way. 1 Corinthians 6, this is an example of the already of sanctification, that it, you have it now. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul's saying now, you are sanctified. Okay, This is a, a, a one and done thing. You are holy, 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 holy. Um, holy, holy. Um, but then also, there's from a different perspective, it's an ongoing process. 
So in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you were sanctified, one and done, and you are being transformed. You are being sanctified. At risk of uh, belaboring the point, I've put a little table here just for a way to think about this. So on the one hand, you have that the two senses of sanctification, the point, or the one and done, the already. So that coincides with justification, that declared righteous, made holy in God's sight. That's the, the now. It's once for all. Coram Deo is a Latin term, technical term, means before God. Okay, So before God, you are already holy and righteous in his sight. Okay? When God looks at you, he doesn't say, ah, this guy, someday maybe he's going to be worth something. But no, already he has regarded you as his blessed child. That's that 1 Corinthians 6 reading. Well, then sanctification is also, and this is the way we more commonly think about it, that process. Okay? So it commences with justification. You're made, uh, declared righteous in God's sight. You're made a child of God. And now we have this ongoing process through the rest of our lives. The Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. That's that in bringing it to completion. That's the not yet side of it, where we are works in progress, right? It's ongoing. And so this is coramundo, which means before the world, okay? So in the sight of God, already holy and righteous. <coughs> in the sight of the world, we're all works in progress. That's the 2 Corinthians 3. So... So, All right. Yeah, so this is a big deal in the church even today. Sure, I mean, right. Like a lot of churches don't see this or don't believe right. this or don't live this out, and even some Lutheran churches sure. don't fully. Maybe even probably we don't fully embrace this. There's, right. There's a sense that sanctification that once you're a Christian that now you you should be right. have it all worked out. Have it all worked out. Yeah. Right. Of course, that doesn't line up with reality. Yeah. Right. Right. Just, just you know. You know, as yeah. I say, join the church council. Exactly. Or, or be an elder. You know, be involved in a church in some way. And you'll find out all these people and yourself are just like people who don't go to a church, sinful, and that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, Luther seems to be, when he's coming of age and writing stuff, like he's really pushing against this idea that sanctification is a once and done deal. Yeah. I mean, is he, you know, it's just every day you, you die. You, yeah. You drown the old, the old Adam. Like, right. All that. Last thing in front of his pocket was, I'm but a beggar. He's constantly going back to that you have to kind of go back to yeah. over and over again. Yeah, it's the over and over and over again of recognizing, all right, I have died already. And I'm, I mean, this is uh, Romans 6, 4, that we've been buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that we might be raised from the glory of the Father to walk in newness of life. Okay, that walking in the newness of life is that ongoing process. And yeah, no, we have not yet arrived, right? But um, to your point, I think we do damage to ourselves and to fellow believers when we set this expectation of like, well, wait a second, you're a Christian, like, and you still sin? How dare you? Where we even have in the scriptures and in the liturgy that right there where it says um, that if anybody says he has not sinned, he does what? Deceives himself. And yet we want to think, oh, no, no, no. If you're a Christian, you should have it all worked out. I remember my freshman year of college, 
and this was like a big a big growth period for me. I mean, I've grown up in the in the church, been confirmed, and all this stuff. But it was really when I went away to college, at Michigan State, weirdly enough, uh, where I, I grew in my faith. Throw him in the deep end of the pool. Um, and uh, I remember I'd been reading my Bible, and really the Lord Lord was working on me in in a fresh way. And uh, but decided to go to this conference, uh, Christian conference, with this uh, kind of non-denominational evangelical ministry um, at Christmas time or New Year's. And um, one thing that I hadn't been working on so much is I still, I had a little bit of a potty mouth. No, I'm not going to lie to you. I had a little bit of a potty mouth. And I remember being at that conference and my buddy, Mike, who's being very well-meaning, but he was just utterly scandalized that, that I would say, and he's like, Ryan, we're at this Christian conference don't talk like that. And it was one of those things where like, it was the old, you know, you don't realize how bad your windshield is until you turn the defroster on. And then, oh, yeah. Uh, like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was such a bad. The Lutherans I grew up with would, you know, have a pretty salty language. And so I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't thought too much about one way or the other. But then I was just I was so taken aback by it. Anyway, he, he was like, wait a second. You're a Christian. You should. And I, I think that our expectations for one another ought to be that we're all in progress, we're all on the way, but that nobody's got it all figured out already. We, we should never be surprised by the, the fact that all of us are still struggling with sin, right? And if that's one, one thing I've learned as a pastor over the years um, is that, yeah, all of God's people have things that they're carrying and, and bearing. Yes, Andy. When Jesus raised the bar on the Ten Commandments to me, just your mere yes. thoughts. Yeah. Exactly. We're all yeah. utterly. We are all, all utterly in sin. And this is kind of the paradox that when the law is kind of tamped down into you start to think that, oh, maybe I could do this. This is what uh, an uh, old Lutheran pastor who's passed on, a guy named Kenneth Corby, he would say that that's when the law just gums you to death. Okay? <laughs> because you try to take the teeth out of it and make it sound like, yeah, you can probably do this. But you need to keep the teeth in the law. You need to hear it in, for God's standard for what it is. Yeah, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Like Jesus just, zoop. Um, so that then, when you are able to feel the full force of the law, that's when, okay, we're leading into that continual cycle of repentance, confession. And that's where God really grows us, through that death and resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Is this what you theologians call Two kinds of righteousness. Oh, well, thank you. For, <laughs> uh, Anna asks, is this what, what is, is called uh, two kinds of righteousness? Um, and yeah, in a sense. So two kinds of, of righteousness would be <clears throat> of active and passive. Okay? So we have a passive righteousness. This would be the justification side of it. Passive righteousness is received righteousness. So what we receive from Jesus. Okay? Made holy, made righteous in God's sight. <clears throat> The active righteousness is us um, now, as those who have been redeemed already, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, now striving to follow Christ in our everyday lives. We don't just, I mean, this is the stereotype of Lutherans. We don't just, you know, sit in the dark, look at our navels and say, isn't it so good, great that I'm forgiven and justified? I don't need to do anything. No, now we are, are striving and seeking to live lives, God-pleasing lives of, of likeness with Christ. Okay, that's the active righteousness. 
So it's not exactly the same. It's not exactly the but same, it over, but it's, it overlaps yeah. with the quorum deo and the quorum. Movement. Yes, right. Yeah. So yeah. we would say that the passive righteousness is that quorum deo, and then the active righteousness is that quorum lento. So right. there's because the ongoing sanctification isn't like something that I'm doing. Well, it is and it isn't. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, God is the one who ultimately does the sanctifying, yeah. but we do, we cooperate, we work together with him in that, in that work. Yeah. I don't know if this is Lutheran or not, but I mean... <laughs> That's always a good way to preface it. <laughs> as long as it's biblical. It's, it's the um, progressive uh, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit speaking yeah. all the time, but that progressive hearing of... I like that. You don't grieve the Holy Spirit and... Yeah, it's that, pro that progressive sensitivity to the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's the, the surprising thing, is as you become more sensitive to the Spirit, and you grow in this way, uh, you, don't become, you don't become more proud. No. You become more aware of your faults, right? <laughs> Sanctification, you're, you're more sensitive, you're more cognizant of the ways that you aren't. I mean, it's a very, um, I think, I would say, immature and prideful thing to be like, hey, I've pretty much got it all together, right? It was that first flush of, of confidence, but it's as we take our knocks and we, and we go on this way of faith, we realize all the ways that we do fall short. That's part of that growth in the sensitivity to the Spirit. So again, one of those kind of paradoxes there. Yeah. But like, that, this is a horrible way to pitch during a church, though. Fair, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> this is why the other way is a better pitch. You know? Sure. Like, you've, if you join our church... You'll become better. Right. Your kids will be better. You have a better marriage. Or your kids will turn out better. Right. Um, and you and then so then they keep harping on all the bad things that you shouldn't be doing because right. you got to keep you on the on the on the right on the right side of it. Right. That makes more like I would want to join something I'm gonna get better at. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. Not where I just continue to realize how horrible I am. <laughs> exactly. Right. No, it's true. And and though, but I think Lutherans get accused of, uh, and probably some of probably so is like someone said we, we confess we're poor miserable sinners and spend the rest of the week trying to prove it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, but there, there's a certain sense that that, that we I don't know. But like, yeah. No, it's right. I mean, it's it's not a great sales pitch, if you will, and I think um, it is. It, it can be a, a challenge, but this is something that, in our American context in particular, like we love the before and after story, right? Like, oh, this is you know, I I I used I used to be losing all my hair, it was just falling out in clumps. Then I took Rogaine. Is that what it was called? And now look at all this weird hair that's coming back. Um, the before and after story, right? Or back, Jared. I, I, Oh, the, that's the, the subway yeah, guy, right? Guy, yeah. yeah. I, I was like this, and then I started eating Subway, and weirdly I lost weight. I don't know exactly. Nowadays, if you have foot-long sandwiches. That doesn't seem like that would help you. But anyway. You're food by the feet. Right. Probably. <laughs> that's right. But uh, uh, I think we, w we want our faith to fit into that kind of schema, right? That, okay, yep, follow Jesus, and everything's going to get better for you. Where if we listen closely to the Gospels, it's almost... The exact opposite. She's like, come follow me. And all right, Jesus, what are you going to do for me? Well, you're going to die. You know, you're going to die to yourself daily, right? People probably aren't going to like you. And uh, it's, it's going to be hard. Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't innumerable blessings. With, I mean, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. Well, Peter says, well, what, what about us? What are we going to get? We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, well, you know, in this life, you're going to get persecutions. It's, it's yeah, going to be exactly. tough. And in the age to come, you're going to receive a hundredfold families and homes, and etc. Um, 
So it's not to say that there aren't gifts and blessings, and, and not all of them are in the future, right? I mean, come in the present too, but it's, yeah, it just, it isn't as simple as like, yep, follow Jesus and you live the abundant life, everything's going to be easy peasy. Uh, health and wealth gospel? Right. This is the appeal of what's called the prosperity gospel, yeah. where it, it makes this kind of promise. And and this is kind of the dark side of it. If you're not uh, living that best life now, it's probably your fault. Something that you're doing wrong, some unconfessed sin, and that's why you're having these struggles. And ultimately, see, it, all, it just puts it back on, on you. So. The gospel. Yeah, that's right. All right. So. Thus, we have this first part. But now it's going to take another uh, direction. I'm sorry that Bob and Priscilla aren't here because Bob's been wanting to talk about this. He's been itching to, to discuss this. So um, he, it's too bad for him. So what happened? You, you, missed, you missed church. I'm, I'm still pressing forward. Verses 10 through 20. <clears throat> and on the eighth day, notice again, guys, we've talked about that. The eighth day. It's a day of new creation, right? You're bald. You shaved off your eyebrows even. You're starting over on the eighth day, new creation. He shall take two male lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, and one log of oil. I'm not familiar with the log of oil, but uh, it's, it's like a yule log. Yule log. Okay. And the, <laughs> I, I, evidently. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering, along with the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering, in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand and dip the right finger in the oil that's in his left hand and sprinkle some oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, on his forehead. Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. <clears throat> okay, so this is so fascinating. I mean, it's a whole lot of stuff going on here. But what does this, what does this remind us of from earlier in Leviticus? This is where Bob will get so excited about. Anybody recall where that came up earlier? Yeah. Is this the ordination of a priest? Bingo. The ordination of the priest. So the same kind of thing is happening um, at the ordination. This is in chapter 8. The blood applied to the right ear, thumb, and big toe. And then at the ordination, you have the anointing oil be poured out on the head and the vestments. Here, when this rite of purification for the leper, the blood and then the anointing oil, rather than just being poured out on you is applied over the blood. And it's, I think, a way of saying that now you are atoned. That's the, the uh, focus of the blood. The blood is the, the atonement. But now also the oil coming over top of it, that, um, as I say, your atonement, it culminates, this purification, it culminates in your calling. Okay? Now you are being sent out as a priest of God, as the royal priesthood. See? 
Uh, you are not um, just going to, to stand idly by. You are not, what should we say? You're not damaged goods, see. You have a role to play in God's continued work in the community. There's something very, very beautiful about this. And this is when we talk mm-hmm. about sanctification, like Ma- Matthew 5, when Jesus says, um, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. This is, what, this, is what sanctif- this is the upshot of sanctification. It's not just to be holy in yourself. It's certainly not to be holier than thou. It's so that you are set apart for a purpose. This is what we're talking about. You're set apart to be a light to your neighbors. You're set apart to be salt, which, you know, northern Michigan in the winter, salt, such a great gift, right? Salt seasons things. It also makes it so you don't fall on your face as you're walking on the sidewalk, right? Um, This is who you are called to be now as those who have been reclaimed and redeemed and forgiven. It's not just for your own sake, but it's for the sake of your neighbor, see? Um, you get this also in Titus 2. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay? You are redeemed so that right? you are free for the sake of others in order to, to be a blessing. So why is this important from your perspective? Why is it important that someone be not only forgiven but also called, not just redeemed and loved, but also sent. Why do you need both those sides of it? Because people need direction. Okay, people need direction. Because it's good news. How, so, how, how is it good news? Good news. Uh, if I'm forgiven, God has acted in my life, and I'm... I can share that. Yeah. And say, God, God did this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a change of identity that takes place in this kind of a rite. Uh-huh. Or any kind of like a rite of passage. And, and without the calling, it's just kind of like, okay, what now? What now? Right. Um, if there's not like a, a direction. Yeah. Um, a purpose. A purpose. Yes. Like, What's the point if there's not something here for me? Right. Who am I? No. Right. Who am I? Um, yeah. I'm going to start exactly. singing Les Miserables. Right. Um, but that, that was kind of, no, you mentioned it. That is kind of, in, if you remember that story of, of Les Miserables, Jean Valjean, he gets this new identity. He's forgiven. But then it's important for him now to reclaim that mantle and, and serve others, right? Um, I have, I'm not sure. Why? But when I think about this, the community that especially is on my heart with it is like our military, our veterans. Mm-hmm. Because think about how um, this can be such a challenge for veterans who give so much of themselves for the sake of nation, for the sake of their neighbors. And then they come back and we say, you know, thank you for your service. Here's 10 percent off at the movie theater. You know, um, when what they need more than anything else, I think. This is me just speaking personally, but is the reminder like, hey, you're still needed, right? Like you have gifts to give. It's not just something that you were in the past, but it's something that you that you still are. Um, I mean, this is true in different communities, but I think for veterans especially, this can be a real challenge of now coming back into the community and and recognizing, yeah, you have a calling still. But I don't know. I'm just kind of 
think, thinking through this here, but I think for any of us, and I, I see it also with seniors, right? And um, in particular with homebound folks who feel like, why am I still here, right? They're, they're not struggling with their sense of forgiveness, but with their sense of, of calling and vocation, right? Where God still has some purpose for them, but they're not clear, what is it? Why am I still here? So, but we need both. We need both. And this is the thing that, that um, I, Bob was get, would get so excited about to talk about, is like the fact that we are the priesthood of the baptized. We are forgiven, not for our own sake, but to go out now into the world. We are sent by God to go out into our neighborhoods to be neighborhood missionaries, right? Neighborhood ambassadors, um, to, to go out and to bear his good news in word and deed. So see that already here in, in Leviticus. No. Um, go ahead. This is just an off question. Mm. Uh, they did the right hand, right earlobe, yeah. right toe. Yes. Is my brother was left-handed. Oh gosh. Okay. Uh, growing up, as I, they they did everything that they <laughs> Hi, possibly Anne. could to. You've got to be right-handed. Is this kind of like a, a throwback from? This is the righteous way to do it, and if you're left-handed, you're from the devil type of. Uh, well, it is, Hans, actually. Um, I'm glad you brought this up. No, I, uh, yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit when we saw that before. For whatever reason, the right hand is the, the favored side throughout the scriptures. The right side is the more, uh, not to say more righteous side, but is the, it's the, it's favored. the, it is the favored, favored side. But then you have, oh, who's the judge? Or the, uh, the left-handed one? Anybody? Is it Ehud? One of the guys is left-handed, and that's how he's able to then have his uh, surprise attack because you know he has his sword on the other side. They don't expect it, and so he gets him. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> it's the same reversal. The weak will be strong. The great reversal. That's right. It's the exception that proves the rule. That's right. The left-handers, they too are loved by the Lord. We often refer to Jesus as you know, like the left-handed versus right-handed kingdom. Like the, that's the true. Power, like yeah. Yeah, his right hand, left hand. So right hand is what you expect. Left hand is that kind of unexpected surprise of the of the gospel too. So, yeah, I don't know, but it is it, there. It is. It's on that that right hand side. So, the big thing though is just that that uh, sense of now you are forgiven, but you are fully integrated back into the community. You're not damaged goods. Your sin has flown off like this bird. You've been cleansed and made holy. That's how we ought to view us. Now, with the time we have left, I want to bring this into Jesus and how Jesus does this. And one, I've got a, a neat thing I want to share with you here in a, in a minute, um, some learning that I've had in this area. So just to say that leprosy becomes this paradigm, or I should say purification from leprosy, becomes a paradigm for God's cleansing act. And I want to connect this to one of the most significant passages, if not the most significant passage in the prophecy in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 53. If you were a lamb at this time and you did not have any blemishes, you were walking on thin ice, man. <laughs> I mean, people are finding excuses to sacrifice you, you know? I'd be like, oh, I sprained my ankle. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need me. You don't want this lamb. You don't want me. I'm not good, like smearing, you know, <laughs> run to a stick over here because yeah, it's like they can't like swing a big cat without a sacrifice and a lamb that's, that's yeah you can't swing a unblemished lamb without yeah okay so famous familiar passage isaiah 53 um 
I'll start with verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Stricken, smitten. But he, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Okay, familiar proclamation. Every time I read that, I still can't believe that's in the Old Testament, right? I mean, it's just so clearly pointing forward to Jesus. But here's, here's the neat thing. Um, in this passage, the word stricken is a key word there. It's there in uh, verse, uh, what is that, first time it shows up, verse 4. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And then again, at, at the end of that passage, verse 8, he was stricken for the transgression of my people. This is a, a key word, and it connects to this section on Leviticus. Because um, throughout Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, this is just one example. It says, what a man shall have in the skin of his flesh are rising a scab or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy. Now, the word translated plague there is the same word that's used for stricken in Isaiah 53. It is the word naga. Let me hear you say naga. Naga. All right. Naga, I'm going to ask you. Naga, naga. Okay. Um, naga. Way to say it. <laughs> um, that uh, means stricken stricken. And so uh, this Isaiah 53 passage is hearkening back to the leprosy and the plague of leprosy. That in a sense, the suffering servant, the Messiah, that he is going to be stricken as though he had leprosy for the sake of the people. He's going to be one who will be cast out in order that we might be gathered in. I had never connected this before until doing the study for Leviticus, but what a profound way of thinking about the, the cleansing that we have, the purification that we have in Christ. And then, of course, we see this in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. And here's where I want to end today. That Number five on your handout. Jesus reverses negativity dominance. All right, what do I mean by that? I'll tell you in a second. Uh, I, I know it sounds made up, but I, I borrowed it from smart people. Um, so go to Matthew chapter 8. Okay? This is the... Jesus is encountering, encountering lepers a fair bit in his ministry. This is perhaps the most famous uh, moment of this. In Matthew chapter 8. It says, when he came down from the mountain. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold... A leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, 
show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. All right, Jesus encounters this leper. What's the most significant thing that Jesus does there? He touches him, right? He touches him, which, as you guys know, as we've been reading through this, this would have rendered him unclean, right? That Jesus was willing to, I mean, not all, in addition to that ritual impurity, there'd be the fear that now he's going to be infected. Now he's going to be, because the leper is extremely contagious, now he is going to receive that as well. So this is what is called, um, in the literature of psychology, a, neg a negative dominance, okay? Uh, I came across this in this book, Unclean, good, good title, by this guy who's a psychologist and theologian. And he talks about how uh, negativity dominance is that, well, I'll just uh, read his, his definition of it. When a pollutant and a pure object come into contact, the pollutant is stronger and ruins the pure object. The pure object doesn't render the pollutant acceptable or palatable. And so, forgive me, I'm just going to read from here. Uh, he says, <clears throat> you know, the classic phrase in the literature is, a drop of urine in a bottle of wine will ruin the bottle of wine. But a drop of wine in a bottle of urine will do nothing to make the urine drinkable. It's good. I'm, I'm giving you life advice here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had that backwards. Who's That's the good yeah. uh, Who's the Richard Beck. Okay. Yeah. You're welcome to borrow this if you, if you like, Sandy. Um, but, I mean, this is very intuitive, right? This is the way we always think about it is that there's always this negativity dominance. The, the unclean thing ruins the purity of something. And once that purity is breached or crossed, well, then it, it's ruined, it's done, it's, it's permanent. It can't be undone. And we can have this perspective, too, when it comes to sin sometimes. That sin, it, just, it, it takes you out of this, this uh, pure state, and now how do you recover that? How do you return from that? It's just, it's done, it's over. You, and you think about this too, like with alcoholism, there, there can be this sense that, well, um, you know, I, I was sober, but now if I have one drink, I might as well, you know, drink a whole 12-pack because, you know, I've already, I've crossed that uh, threshold, and so there's no point anymore. Um, but then he goes on to say, what's striking about the gospel accounts is how Jesus reverses negativity dominance. Jesus is, to coin a term, positivity dominant. Contact with Jesus purifies. See? Jesus reverses the way that things always work. That now he is the one who's able to, to cleanse the leper. He is the one who's able to make the impure pure. Now the, the sins and the things that we carry with us, they don't define us. They're not able to, um, to make a, render us eternally impure because now contact with the Lord Jesus has made us holy and clean. Um, so you know, this is part of one of the gifts of receiving the Eucharist week by week. We receive the body and blood of Jesus on our lips, in our mouth, and he is purifying us. He is cleansing us. Making us holy. And I just think about how does this change the way Christians approach the world, right? I mean, as, as Christians individually, as the church, we don't have to be fearful that a pure, perfect church <laughs> is going to be stained by the world. Rather, the world had better be afraid of the church, right? Mm -hmm. Not because the church is so great, but because Jesus is so great. Because we bear Christ to the world to our neighbors so that now that cleansing positivity dominance force of of god working in and through you and me is able to stem that tide to reverse the the flow of cleanliness all, so all that prosperity gospel and all that is just such a counterfeit of just an encounter with jesus yeah 
that's where the real treasure. That's where the real treasure is. The real joy. Yep. All of that comes from. Just that yeah. encounter with Jesus. That's right. It reminds me of the ragman. Yeah. Right. But in the ragman story, when he touches the people, that so it's Jesus is basically a ragman who has clean rags, and he touches people with wounds, whatever. And he takes on their wounds. Yes. And so they become healed or pure. Right. And he's the, and then he has to die. Yeah. For that, and of course, that's what happens, right? I mean, right. Like Jesus doesn't doesn't save the world by just being pure and touching them. Exactly. He has to suffer in our place. He has to absorb. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Right. Right. He's stricken for the sake of his people. He absorbs, he takes on our unrighteousness and our impurity. And this is what is called the blessed exchange, the happy exchange. It's a great deal for you and me, right? We get all of Jesus' purity, all of his righteousness. He gets all of our sin, all of our uncleannesses. But then he buries them in the ground and comes back and rises again. No more for those sins to haunt him or us. They've been taken taken care of, buried six feet under. So yeah, Ragman is a, per, is a great uh, thing to bring up there. Yeah. I have a question about that Matthew passage. Uh-huh. Uh, it says he's in a great crowd, uh-huh. and he, then he says he runs into a leper and uh, cleanses him and says, don't tell anybody. Yeah. What about the great crowd that's... Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. or, or is that something I'm missing with you know, you shouldn't brag about this to go to the priest and... Yeah, no, uh, that's, a, that's a fair point. I don't know that I picked that up before. I mean, presumably the crowds are parting when they see the leper coming, oh. right? For yeah. one thing. Um, I guess so, yeah. But, uh, I mean, as we know, we just see this um, as part of Jesus' MO throughout his ministry is telling people, no, don't go boasting about this, but just go, especially at this point, just go to the priest, yeah. right? Just show that I'm not trying to, I, as he said earlier in Matthew, I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Yeah. Yes, Andy. Yeah. Keeping, keeping a closed mouth about something good sometimes preserves. Sure, right. <laughs> preserves you from, uh, you know, a dissipation. Of it yeah, right. Mm-hmm. He's not ready to cast his pearl before no. swine just yet. Right. Yeah. So I, I just I think this is a, a beautiful picture that we have in the cleansing, the purification of the leper. And uh, when we come back and continue Leviticus, we'll get to the second half of this chapter. I've just got a couple of things to say about the cleansing of, of houses, um, but uh, we won't, won't get there now. But um, just a reminder, next Sunday we won't have a study. We won't have Bible study next week. Uh, we'll come back after the, after the new year. Um, and uh, continue digging into Leviticus. But thank you guys for being here, and God be with you.